Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Sometimes we we get disconnected from our giving. And we think that our little piece doesn't matter, but your piece does matter. So thank you for that. Um, You'll see out there we've actually had uh, uh, Accelerate stuff out there for about two or three weeks now. Uh, We'll be, uh, um, again... Um, taking um, donations and stuff like that so that we can bless your ministry again. And then tonight in our, in our evening offering or our evening service, we'll be taking a, uh, an offering so you can bless uh, Alan's ministry as well. Uh, I've known Alan for a long time. We went to school together in Florida. Um, just crazy. Uh, like, we're not old, but everybody we went to school with is like really old now. I don't know why. Um, one of the things I think that God has been doing recently is God has been repositioning things. We're in a different season now than we were even five years ago. And I think God is moving pieces around, and he's, he's putting people in places to be able to release something new that he wants to do in our time and in our space. Alan is one of those pieces. Uh, he's moved him. And, and understand this, beloved. Anybody you see here that we bring here at Trinity, we don't do that with happenstance or without strategy. Every time somebody comes in and they speak life into us, if they're here to speak life into you, it's an injection of what God wants to do in your life. So do me a favor. Today, be open. Allow the Spirit to touch you. Give it up for Alan. Last time I was here, I almost died, y'all. I was going up the stairs, and I tripped up the stairs and almost died. And, and, and they were like, did you uh, trip on purpose? I was like, kind of. Like, after I tripped, I was like, okay, let me just go ahead and go all the way. But I'm going to tell you, the first two seconds while I was falling forward, I was dying. And everyone was laughing just like now. And it was okay because I lived. Hallelujah. I just want to re- reiterate, thank you. Um, look at your neighbor right now and say, you did good. Thank you for giving. Thank you for investing in the lives of teenagers that are in foster care um, all over the United States. And, uh, man, I'll talk more about that later. But you guys blessed our socks off, and those kids were blessed. We had six first-time salvations um, during our Christmas party that you gave to. Thank you. That was awesome. So um, this morning, tech team, I'm about to mess you up because I want to preach the other message, One Touch, this morning. And then tonight, everybody say tonight. New City Church tonight, right here at at Trinity, tonight. It's going to be amazing. Um, It's 6 o'clock, correct? 6 o'clock tonight? 6 o'clock? 8 o'clock? 10.30? (laughs) I'll go till 10.30. I will not be preaching till 10.30, but I'll try. I'll try. I'm just kidding. But tonight at 6, don't miss it. We're going to dive deep in the Word of God and let the Word of God transform us. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interactive. You're going to be acting out the message I preach tonight, and it's going to be amazing. I promise you this. Not one person will walk out of this room without being blessed and encouraged tonight. Don't miss tonight, okay? Everybody say tonight. I don't care what the Dallas Cowboys are trying to do to the Eagles. They're going to lose. The Eagles are going to win in the name of Jesus. Okay? So don't worry about that. Just be worried about 6 o'clock. 
It's going to be amazing. It's 6 o'clock tonight. Um, by the way, I have no power over the Eagles. Anyway, um, so today this message is brought to you by the Bible. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. We're going to get into this really fast. And I promise you, you'll leave here in time to eat lunch. It'll be great. Uh, Luke chapter 8. And while you're looking that up, I will do a quick commercial. I have the Divas of Sales in the back. And they've got a table full of tools that will bless your life. We have our best-selling book, Undefeated, back there that you can get. You might wonder, what's this book about? It's all about victory. How to live in victory. Whether you're brand new to Christ, you've been living for Christ your whole life, everybody needs to learn more about victorious living. And I always encourage people, listen, you've got to study the Word of God. Um, at my church, I tell them, study the Word. That means to read books about the book of the Bible you're reading. Reading the Bible only is not enough. That's why the Scripture says, study to show thyself approved. It means to study the books of the Bible through other books so that you understand it fully. This is one of those books. Mm-hmm. So you can get this book back there. By the way, this is for you, handsome white chocolate man. Uh, that's what I'm talking about. He caught that like it was nothing, bro. Pray for the eagles, all right? Also, we have our series back there called No Trespassing. I wish I was preaching out of this series, but the Lord gave me a new message for today, so I don't want to preach out of this series today. But if you want the, the series that I was going to preach today, bam, there it is. You can take it home. Everybody go, ooh, ah. Y'all throw it in your Xbox, throw it in your PlayStation, throw it in your car, your boat, your conversion van. I don't know. Here you go. White chocolate young lady of God. Also, we have t-shirts. Now, how many of y'all grew up in Sunday school? Some of the older folk, y'all grew up in Sunday school? How many of y'all know some Sunday school songs? Raise your hand. Okay. We used to sing a song that said, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Remember? Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. So I made a shirt about it. Because you know what America needs? America needs some Jesus. So I made a shirt with all the flavors and all the colors. And then on the back, it says unity. You know why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is unity. How many of y'all know that America needs some unity right now? You better raise your hand or maybe come down there and... <laughs> this is for Pastor. That's, I hooked him up. That's my brother from another mother. With the same father. <laughs> Luke chapter 8, verse 40. If you're ready, say, let's go. I, I'm, I, if you're scared right now, be scared, because I'm about to take you on a, a, a biblical journey of epic proportion. This is going to be fantastic. The Bible says, now when Jesus returned, so Jesus left, now Jesus returned. A crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his own daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. That's messed up. As Jesus was on his way, ooh, I could just preach that right there. Ooh, I love me some Jesus. You know why I love Jesus so much? Because Jesus did miracles on the way to miracles on the way to miracles. In fact, Jesus' life theme is pardon the interruption because he was always doing the great things on the way to do great things. You know what? Some of us are on our way to work. Instead of cussing those people that are tailgating you, what if we blessed them? They're like, nah, son, you done overstepped. 
As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. What does the Bible say? They almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. I kind of like the way that the King James does that. It said there, there was a woman who's under the care of many doctors and, and, and had spent all she had, but instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard that Jesus was walking by, she thought to herself, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. Reaching up and touching the hem of his garment, she immediately in her body, paracrema, great word, immediately in her body, she felt she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So he turned around the crowd and said, hey, who touched me? Now, when I said that, everybody kind of giggled because they're like, Jesus didn't talk like that. Jesus was sweet and nice and beautiful, and Jesus was so nice to people. Let me tell you something right now. Jesus was not sweet in this story. He goes, hey, man, who's touching me? I know how you imagine Jesus. He has white blonde hair with blue eyes. He, he has a tattoo because he has a past. And Jesus walks by and says, hearken, who hath touched my epidermis? That is not what he did, y'all. He said, hey, man, who's touching on me? How do we know this? Because the Bible says everyone around him denied it. He's like, hey, who's touching me? Uh-uh, no, dog, wasn't me. It was Uncle, Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy be touching everybody. Everyone denied it. Everyone. Simon Peter has to calm him down. Simon Peter comes over to Jesus and goes, Jesus, man, listen. Bro, everybody's touching you. Okay? You're Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I felt someone touch me before I felt power go out of me, dunamis go out of me. It, 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 the woman then, the Bible says, realizing or seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling. This story just got good. The woman came trembling. What? Scared of Jesus? I'm scared of a lot of things, but I'm not scared of Jesus. I don't like snakes, but I'm not scared of Jesus. I don't like spiders. In fact, there's pretty much no bugs I like. But I'm not scared of Jesus. Why was she afraid of Jesus? She came trembling. Have you ever been so afraid that you trembled? That's serious. The Bible doesn't lie. So it says she was trembling. She was trembling with fear. Why? We're going to find out in just a minute. She came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Father, I pray this morning in the next 20 minutes, something so supernatural would happen. We'd walk out of here in the power of your spirit on cloud 10. Lord, I pray you bless your people during this Holy Ghost pep rally. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. Amen. I love Jesus, and I love his stories. I love them. The reason I love them so much is because Jesus is real. And, 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 and the things that happened during Christ's time, when you study them, you realize how real he was. Jesus was a toucher. Jesus liked touching 
people and being touched by people. When I said that, it's almost like using the word moist. Some of you pulled back in horror. Did you just say touching people? Like, like they're talking about the, the, the great uh, event that's going to happen, Family Fest. It's going to be amazing, October the 29th. And some of you are like, we're going to touch people out there. Oh, he said touch people. But you know what I've learned? I've learned that the culture back then is not even different than the culture today. And we need to get our touch back. I think the punk sucker MC devil has been stealing our touch. Inasmuch that I say the word touch and people withdraw. How's that even, that's not even, is that, that's not normal, y'all. It wasn't long ago that we used to have in the church something called love feasts. We do them back in my hometown now, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. The Moravian church established it where we would gather together and hug and encourage each other and literally put cake in each other's mouths. Men would put cake in men's mouths. Women would put cake in men's mouths. Children would put cake in men's mouths. Why did I say men? Because I'm a man and I don't care about the rest of y'all. <laughs> they would literally feed each other cake and pray and sing together just to encourage each other during the holidays. What's happened? You see, what we're trying to do now with the fa Family Fest is put candy in people's mouths and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same principle. I believe and I'm convinced the enemy's trying to steal our touch. Jesus is walking through a crowd and, and, and everyone's bumping into him, but only one person actually touched him and touched him on purpose. And when she did, her life was changed forever. Huh. I'm not negating stranger danger or inappropriate touching, but I think we often throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's gross. We, we throw out the whole concept for the minority of people that do the wrong thing. I think the word of our generation is, don't touch me. Don't touch me. It's so funny that young people are so desperate for touch in school that we're experiencing mental health crisis on another level, and it's not just because of touch, but it is because of touch. They're missing touch. I remember when I was in high school, we would hug everybody. We'd walk around in high school hugging, and then when, when I got older and I started to go into schools as a motivational speaker, I have 1,500 to 1,800 students lining up after high school public assemblies wanting a hug. Why? Because there's something missing, y'all. And it's touch. It's not just love. It's love and action. Touch. You might say, well, Alan, there's, there's diseases and sicknesses. Listen, that's not new. Check it out. Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. Then people brought little children to Jesus. I'm, I'm almost into my first point. I'm almost I'm a third done with the sermon. We're going to be eating soon. Then people brought little children for Jesus to let him place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, hey man, let the little children come to me. Have you noticed that my Jesus sounds like an like a, a, a uncle, like a black uncle? <laughs> I can see him with like a jerry curl. That's my Jesus. My Jesus got worlds of curls up in that mug. You know what I'm saying? With a, with a Michael Jackson jacket. Anyway. 
But the disciples rebuked him. Jesus said, hey, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, and only after he placed his hands on them, he placed his hands on them. Jesus put his hands on them. He touched them. Then he went on. Can you believe the disciples were actually up in that mug trying to stop people from bringing their their babies, their children to Jesus? The disciples, the, the men of God who've been hanging out with Jesus for months, weeks, they, they, they were the ones going, no, get away from Jesus. Get, get that ugly little baby away from Jesus. <laughs> These guys just didn't get it, man. They didn't understand who Jesus was. That's why we call them the disciples. <laughs> they never got it, man. And, and it's so crazy but because they, the disciples were right. What? Oh, yeah. How old was Jesus when he started his public ministry? We believe he was around 30. The average person would be joyful to live to 44 back then. So Jesus was considered to be an elder in community, more susceptible, if you will, to sickness and disease. And we know that little children ain't nothing but walking Petri dishes. So Jesus is up there. Little kids are coming to him, nose running, ears running, gross done ate some nasty locusts and got locust juice on their face. And Jesus is like, oh, look at the little pobrecito. You know, he's like a little baby. And, and the disciples are like, get that dirty baby off of Jesus. You're going to kill the king. And Jesus goes, no, it's okay. Give me the babies. Send me the babies because this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. I'm going to die anyway. And I'm going to die for them. Can I just say this? Having lost my mom during the pandemic, we're going to die anyway. All of us. If Jesus don't come back, everybody in here going to be D-E-D, can't afford a dead. At some point, you're going to eternity. Why go there alone? I ain't going there alone, man. I'm going to get as many people as I can, as often as I can, everywhere that I can, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and I'm going to use my manos. I'm going to use everything I have to get them there. And if touch helps, I'm going to use touch. If singing helps, hallelujah, I'll sing. If you want me to dance, I'll dance. If you want me to drop off candy, I'll drop off candy. If you want me to paint a face, I'll paint a face. If you want me to pass out a, a, a balloon, I'll pass out a balloon. But this community needs a touch, and we we are the people to bring that touch. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Shoot. It's not easy at all. Mm-hmm. I was reading historical understandings of first century childhood and, and how those babies were. Man, there's some crazy stuff going on back then. And what's weird is the stuff that the Jewish traditions, especially that in, in, in uh, historical studies show us, is the way we raise our kids today, just we didn't know it. You see, in Galilee, where Jesus was raised, from zero to six years of age, they called that a freedom period, where kids would just run wild like feral, feral kids run around. Just like yours, before they go to school, they're feral. And they called it the freedom period. They ran and played and did what they wanted. That was the age of the kids that were coming to Jesus. That were nasty, ain't been bathed in five days. 
And then from 6 to 10 years of age in Galilee, they called that age period Beth Sefer. Everybody say that, Beth Sefer. Yeah, that was the time where they said it was the house of study, and they would memorize, uh, I should say the, the house of protection, they would memorize and study the Torah. What I love about this is from 6 to 10 years of age, these children in, 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 the, you know, in the study hall, in the, the, the tabernacle, studying with the, the priests, from 6 to 10, they were to remain silent in school. And if they spoke, they could only speak the Bible, the Torah. How many of you wish your kids would be silent for four straight years, from 6 to 10, <laughs> and only quote the Bible? Wouldn't that be great? Mother, Father, I shall obey thee all the days of my life. It would be great. And then from 10 to 14, they entered a period called Beth Talmud. Everybody say, Beth Talmud. Beth Talmud is the, the house of the prophets. And so they would study the, the 400 plus pages of Talmudic writings um, of the Jewish tradition and, and they would study that. So these guys are really getting deep in the word at this point from 10 to 14. And then for, at 12 years of age, they no longer had to be quiet. Now they could ask questions in school. And, and it's really important because whoever, who, whoever asked the questions controls the conversation. And so they were allowed to guide conversation through inquisition, exposing their ignorance, but adding to it knowledge. It was a powerful time in their life. But if you notice, during that time, they would select their future vocation. Right about 12, that's why the questions are important. They would state their vocation. So they'd choose to be in their parents' business, or they would choose to be in the church business. Those are the two options. That was it. See, this is where I think we could, we could do a lot better if we could just build on tradition with legacy. It'd be amazing. See, it used to be if you were a doctor, your son would be a doctor. Your daughter would be a doctor. You're, that's the way they did it. Of course, the, the women didn't get educated. They didn't let them go to school. Why? Because they were stupid back then. Can I use the word stupid in church? Yes, I can. They were dumb. If they only knew how smart the ladies would be and the fact that women would take over the world, they've taken over the world. <laughs> then they would have had ladies in school with the boys, but they weren't smart. But they would choose at 12 what they wanted to do. Can you imagine today if we built a, from tradition to legacy? If you had 15 generations of plumbers in your family, do you know how much of a multimillionaire you would be? Do you know that plumbers become millionaires between three and six years in, and doctors don't become millionaires until 10 or 12 years in? Do you know how wealthy your family would be if you built on legacy and tradition? Instead of going, I'm going to go my own way. My son came in the, this, is, this is not my notes. My son came in the kitchen the other day. This ignorant fool <laughs> comes in the kitchen. The Bible says, call no man a fool. That's not what it means. Study the Bible, joker. We'll talk about that tonight. This ignorant fool comes in my kitchen talking about some Dad, I feel like I'm going to do a business on my own. Like, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to build something by my, with my own two hands. I said, boy... Starting over is for suckers. <laughs> what is wrong with you? We have built this incredible ministry, this incredible legacy, serving children in foster care, serving communities in compassion. And you're going to sit up here talking about, I want to do my own thing. Are you kidding me? If you do anything like what I'm doing, you're going to be successful overnight. 
We've already paid the price. We've already built the foundation. We've already bled into the soil. What are you thinking? I want to sell sneakers. Get out of my house. Get out of my house. Crumb snatching fool. He going to be broke. <laughs> Y'all get anything out of this? If we build generation to generation and teach our children to build a, from tradition to legacy, we will be wealthy. People always wonder why the Jewish people are so wealthy. I'm going to talk about that tonight too. But part of it is the tradition to legacy. They did not go outside of the bonds of their household. They built a house until it became ridiculous. That's why you're going to be saying Rothschilds forever, Strauss forever. That's why we, we say certain names and there's reverence in our heart. Why? Because that family has built something upon generations of legacy. That was chosen at 12 years of age. It's a good age. That's usually the age when young men and even young women still treasure their parents. And so that legacy is not hard to build. Fascinating though that at 12, Jesus chose his job. Remember, he, they, his parents, they left him back in, in Jerusalem during the Passover, and they traveled on a couple of, a day and a half, and the Bible says they turned around and went back. They're looking for Jesus. Where's Jesus? Man, where is Jesus? And, and they, they're looking for Jesus, and they can't find Jesus. But when they find Jesus, what does he say? Mama, why'd you look for me? Didn't you know? I've chosen my vocation. I'm not going to serve Daddy Joseph or Yusuf, I'm going to serve my heavenly father. I'm going to be about my father's business, capital F, father's business. 12 years of age, he chose his vocation. And then from 14 to 30, if you choose to serve your parents at 14, you go serve your parents, you serve your dad, you become whatever he is, okay? You are the apprentice, he is the master. And that's where we got the master and apprentice whole teaching coming from. If you want to be a plumber, you have to serve a master plumber as an apprentice for you to become a journeyman. So as you come over here and you start to learn from the master, everything shifts. Family church. And when they serve the church, things get different. I'm, I'm halfway done. Actually, just rounded the corner halfway. In just a few minutes, you'll have donuts. This is so crazy. When there was a, come here, I need you. Whenever there was a rabbi that, that, that you want to serve as a 14-year-old young man, 12 to 14, they would follow the rabbi. Wherever the rabbi went, they follow the rabbi, okay? They'd be like, rabbi, 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 please, please, rabbi, rabbi, keep walking. Rabbi, please, please, let me, let me, let me follow you. Rabbi, I want to be, I want to be a student. I, 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 I want to know your ways, hey. And they would follow him around, and finally the rabbi would stop. And the rabbi wouldn't even usually turn around and look. He'd just stop and go, he'd give him a number, like 50 bucks a week. Say that. 50 bucks a week. And the dude would be like, bet, I'll be right back. And he'd run home, and he'd work for his family and earn the money, and he'd pay the rabbi this money, and the rabbi would teach them. Every month he'd work and pay the rabbi that money. If the rabbi didn't like this young man, because this young man was a rabble rouser. He was naughty. He wasn't acting right in school. 
He would raise the price. How many of you wish that educators could raise the price on naughty kids so their parents would learn to teach the spank day kids? I guarantee kids get touched all over America <laughs> if you paid according to how bad your little naughty little rugrats acted in school. So he would say a high price, 5000 5000 And this is what happened. That person would be like... Sad. He don't want to teach me. He gave him 50 bucks, 5,000 bucks. What's wrong with him? And he'd go home and serve his parents. He'd walk away sad because the price was too interesting. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes, obey the law. He goes, I have been obeying the law. And Jesus goes, there's one thing you lack. He goes, go home, sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. And the man, the Bible says the man walked away sad because the price was too. He learned that in Galilee. And, and, and if you got to serve that rabbi, it wouldn't be long, but you'd be in something called Beth Midrash, which they used to call the house of study, but I call the house of suffering. Because from 14 years of age to 30 you would serve the rabbi hand and foot. If the rabbi woke up in the middle of the night and goes, I need a sandwich, you would go make him a sandwich and give it to him and sleep outside their door for 16 years. 16 years. You're at the mercy of the rabbi. And whatever the rabbi wanted, you did. Whatever the rabbi commanded, you obeyed. For 16 years. And at 30 years of age, everybody say 30. You are now a colleague at 30. And you are now able to take on your own students. What age was Jesus when he took on his own students? 30. Thank you, Rabbi. That's the youngest, most handsome rabbi in the house. <laughs> and what's amazing is during that time, the 14 to 30 years, pianist, come up here, make me sound spiritual. Come on up here. During that time, it was incredible that they would serve like that and they would call themselves slaves, slaves to the master. Whatever the priest wanted, whatever that, that rabbi wanted, the rabbi got. They would serve that rabbi hand and foot, and they'd call him a slave. And they were proud of it. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus never called his disciples slaves. He didn't even let them call themselves that. In John chapter 15, verse 14, he said this. He said, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. Just relax. You don't have to play yet. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, Jesus declared, I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. He called them his friends. We used to sing about it. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God, yeah. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. What a great song. But it's incomplete. Because Jesus didn't leave you as a friend. Because you say he's just a friend. He didn't leave you to be a friend. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 46, while Jesus was still talking to a crowd, his mother and brother stood outside. They should have come inside. His mother and brother stood outside. They should have come inside. Wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside. They should have came inside. Wanting to speak to him. He replied to them, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Now, understand this. He's not being cheeky. Jesus was not being a jerk. Jesus was speaking life, and he had just 
made a change that from the time of Elijah and Elisha, no one understood until this day. Jesus said, who are my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Alan, why are you teaching all this? Because I want us to understand the dichotomy between the, the kingdom culture of God and the community culture of Israel. In the Jewish community culture, family was everything. In the kingdom culture, family was everywhere. Jesus called them his family. This is the first time we discover kingdom, family, or let me rephrase it so you understand like I understand today, church, family. Never been talked about ever before. Jesus introduced it. You are my brother. You are my father. You are my mother. You are my sister. You're my family. We are family. Hey, I got all my brothers and sisters with me. That's what Jesus was doing. He established kingdom family. And for the first time, everyone had a place. This is important. This is important. Um, because Jesus himself needed a family. Jesus' family was jacked up. How many of y'all know Jesus' family was dysfunctional? Did you know that? They're like, oh, Jesus' family was perfect, you know. Sing that Christmas carol again. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Dang, hold up. <laughs> I, really? Did everybody who came to that house have a baby? There wasn't a crib anywhere? That's just crazy. Average family back then had a multiple kids, like six, seven kids. There was not one crib in the whole campus. Is that what you're saying to me? You got to put that boy in a food trough? That's jacked up. Jesus was born and placed in a manger, probably in a cave, because Jesus was an outcast. Jesus was born to what we believe is a teenage girl. Can you imagine if your teenage daughter came home and goes, Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant, and the Father's God. None of you would believe that little hussy. Can you say hussy here? Can we say hussy here? And for the rest of her life, she was running around, and people were calling her hussy. And when Jesus was born, they were calling him the B word. I ain't going to use that word because I grew up in the church. I'll get spanked right now. <laughs> they called him the B word everywhere he went. How much? He said this, a prophet is not without honor except that in his own hometown. Transliterated, he walked around his hometown. He walked around in Galilee, and they said, oh, this is, that's Jesus? We know Jesus. Isn't that the carpenter's son? Hey, hold up. Ain't that Mary's boy? Ooh, that, calling him Mary's boy was a B word. That's what that was back then. You are not ever identified by your mother back then. Your spiritual enrichment was by your mother. Fascinating. But you're identified by who your father was. So when they said that, they were calling him the B word because nobody knew who his daddy was. When they left him in Jerusalem during the Passover, the Bible says they went looking for him amongst the family, and the family didn't know where he was. Nobody saw Jesus. Nobody. You know one of them little fools saw Jesus, but they didn't like Jesus. Because 
They lived in an honor-dishonor culture, in an honor-dishonor culture, in a community culture of honor-dishonor. Mary was supposed to be murdered for getting pregnant without a, a man in her life, without being married. So the rest of Mary's life, she was running for her life. Now you understand a little bit of what's going on. Jesus is born, and they're, 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 they're living, they're, they're doing their thing, and Herod goes, I'm going to kill all the babies. Remember, what I say about community culture, family is everything. So if you needed protection from Herod, where would you normally go? Where did they go? Egypt. Because they couldn't trust their family. In an honor dishonor culture, to get the honor back in the family, they were to murder Mary, to murder Jesus. That would bring honor back to the family. The rest of Jesus' life, he was running for his life. His own half-brother, theologians say, more than likely did not believe he was the Messiah until he resurrected. You know how much, how painful it is for, to have your own family think you're crazy? Some of you already understand that because you're crazy. <laughs> That's what Jesus dealt with. That's what Jesus felt. Everywhere he went, people would dog him out. Oh, that's that dude. You know, he was born of a, a, a woman who, well, she said the baby came from God. <laughs> You're a loser. And everywhere he went, he felt that until one day, John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus came out of that water, I love this scene. If I could recreate any scene in the Bible, it would be this one. Jesus has been called the B word his whole life. A boy without a daddy his whole life. A fatherless child his whole life, which is a curse in community. But one day he came out of the water. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. God went dink. And he said, this is my son. All y'all haters out there, all y'all people talking trash about my boy, let me tell you who Jesus is. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Back off, boy. This boy belongs to me. And the whole world heard it at one moment. And now Jesus <laughs> establishes a family for everyone who needs family. Now make me sound spiritual. Do it, girl. Do it. It's like a love song. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus creates a family for those who need family. Not only because we needed it, because he needed it too. He's not just a proponent, man. He, he uses his own product. When he's dying on the cross for the world, here's what Jesus did. I love this. He's dying on the cross for the world. He's saving people from the cross. Hey, buddy, you thief. Dirty, rotten scoundrel. Today you're going to be with me in paradise. Look at the other guy. Dang. And while he's dying on the cross, he looks down and goes, Mama, I got John. He's going to take care of you. John, we talked about this, take care of my mama. He put the care of his mother in his kingdom family. Not his blood family. Because I believe, this is my story, that he still couldn't trust James. He might still murder her. But he knew he could trust his. Some of us in this room, 
We've got blood family we can't trust, but I got good news for you. We're, we're a whole room full of untrustworthy family members, and you can find one of us that will have your back. We're not perfect, but we'll stick close to you. Oh, we're going to hurt you, but we still love you. We might lie about you. We might mistreat you. Sometimes we might misunderstand things, but we're still your family. But, Alan, you're supposed to sell this thing. It's perfect. It's not perfect. We're the most dysfunctional, beautiful kingdom family of God you could ever imagine because we're imperfect servants of the Most High God. But we're here, and we're here for you. We love you because God loves you. He's crazy about you. Why did I tell you all that? Because of the woman. She was trembling with fear. You know why? The woman who touched Jesus, she was ceremonially and socially unclean. The word we use for that, and i got to hurry up, I know, was shomer nagia. She was nagia. That's a, a Jewish cultural statement with regards to touch. It means that she was not legally able to touch or be touched. And so when she was out in community, she was supposed to keep her distance. She wasn't supposed to be around people, especially in a crowd of people. But in order that she might not sin against God and community, we believe that she crawled on the ground to get to Jesus. That's why she reached up and touched the seat zit of his talil. She reached up and touched the tassel of his prayer shawl, and immediately she was healed. But what's so amazing about the story is that Jesus turns around and exposes her and goes, hey, of all y'all people around, who's touching me? And Everyone's like, what, 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 no one's touching you, Jesus. None, none of us are doing it. You know why? Because all of their women were Shomer Nagia. And they'd thrown that whole thing out of the window, hanging out with Jesus. The women and the men were like, Jesus, Jesus, oh my goodness, it's Jesus. They were throwing the traditions out the window. But in the community culture, when you break tradition ceremonially and socially unclean, the mob violence would kick in. The anger would kick in. You touched the Messiah. You made Jesus ceremonially and socially unclean. You know what they would have normally done? Taken her to the base of a cliff, gone on the top of the cliff, and dropped rocks on her until she was dead. That's what they would have done. That's why she trembled. Jesus said, hey, who touched me? And she's like, oh, man. I just got healed. Now I'm going to die. Everybody knows Uncle Billy finna throw rocks at me. She knew she was a dead woman if she told what happened because of her uncleanliness, socially and religiously. And she crawled and she touched Jesus. This is my favorite, <laughs> favorite story. I love it so much because she thought to herself, I'd rather die by this mob violence than neglect worshiping God and telling Jesus how grateful I am. That's a sacrifice of praise, if you ask me. And while she's trembling on the ground, Jesus looks down at her and he says one word. Jesus healed her body with one touch, but Jesus saved her life with one word. What was the word he used? I can't hear you daughter. He looked down at her and he said, oh, daughter. 
And everyone had already picked up their rocks, man. They're like, we're going to kill this woman. She touched Jesus. We know this woman. She's unclean. She touched Jesus. Man, Uncle Billy got his rock. Everybody's got rocks. And Jesus goes, daughter. And they go, oh, man, that's his family. Because the person who can touch her legally is her family. And Jesus had already established Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. She is his family. This is how much Jesus believes in it. See, I wanted to, to, to teach all that stuff so that I can show you that Jesus wasn't lying, that Jesus was telling the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We are family. We are family. We are family. We are family. Don't be afraid to touch your family. Don't be afraid to hug your family. Don't be afraid to shake hands with your family. We're family. We're family. We're family. We're family. America's being torn apart because because we've forgotten that we're family. People getting shot all over the place. They're forgetting who we are. Jesus said that you're, the person who doesn't know God is your neighbor. And the person who does is your family. And we're supposed to treat them both the same. You're my family. You're my family. Maybe you've had earthly family, blood family, jack you up, mess you up, abuse you, mistreat you. I got good news for you. There's a whole bunch of people here that love you, that will have your back. We're not perfect, but we got you. We'll be here for you. When the times are tough, we'll be here for you. If your family needs God, come to our fam fun fair. Get your kids excited about God and turn your life to Jesus. We're here for you. We got you. Jesus didn't lie. He revealed his kingdom. And in his kingdom, there's neighbors and there's family. That's all. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you're my family. Tell him you're stuck with me for the rest of your life. If you don't know God, you're my neighbor and you're stuck with me for the rest of your life. Because I'm not going to leave you alone until you know God. What would happen if we treated people like that? What would happen if we were in the grocery store and we looked at someone and go, hey, my friend, how are you today? Hey, family, how are you? Wow. Things would change. It would change a lot. Huh. Can I pray for you? Maybe you're here right now and you're thinking, Alan, you know what? Um, man, I, I got jacked up situations and my family, and I need God's help. Or, Alan, I've been mistreated. Touch has been bad on me. It's been hard on me. Months ago, my eldest son, he's huge. He's like 6'8". This big old joker walks in my house and says, uh, Dad, I don't like it when people hug me. I said, why? He goes, eh, I just don't like it. I go, no, you're just being selfish. He goes, what? I go, the devil knows that a hug is destructive to the sin. You can't hug someone and love someone and be planning evil against them. Love is powerful. If we lose our hug, y'all, if we lose our love, we're nothing. That's what Jesus said. That's what the Bible says. Without love, clanging symbol. Just, just noise. 
Was that in Corinthians? We, we, we got to have love. So our, our altar call today, after I pray, is hugging. Long, healthy hugging. If you're married and you hug your wife, long, unhealthy hugging. What? Why are you looking at me like that? I'm talking about some church growth right now. I'm growing the church. Men, leave the women alone today. Hug these men. You know why? Men don't get enough men hugs. Hug some brothers. Sisters, hug some sisters. Can I teach you, though, how to hug a sister? Stand up, white chocolate wonder. Come here. I know, cameraman, I know you got to dip down a little bit. Come here. Let me show you a couple of hugs. I know you're thinking, this is the dumbest. Let me tell you something. Americans have lost our hugs, man. We'll know how to hug people. So if you want to be really super appropriate and starched, you're going to do a side hug with a lady like this. Hey, side hug. It feels good. I like to throw a little booty bump in there. Okay? Ain't nothing wrong with a little booty bump. But my favorite hug with ladies and, and people that I'm just getting to know, and I'll be like, give me that head. I'll be, give me your head. And I'll head hug them like this. Oh, it feels so good. It's, it's like the best hug ever. Do it with him. Do it. Do it. Do a head hug. <laughs> See? Do you just bump heads really hard? She's like, whack! It just feels, oh, it's so nice. Wow. Every part of your body can be used to love people. We need to use it. Use it. I promise you it's going to heal our country. It's going to heal our, we need it so bad. The kingdom of God will advance through our touch. Through our touch. Physio physiologically, we are in trouble without it. Suicide, violence, our, our society has gone zero to sex. You can watch your movies, it goes zero to sex. It's like, they see each other across the bar, always a bar. I ain't never met a couple today who like, my romance started at Nipsey's. It, is just, it just doesn't work like that. They see each other across the bar. Then the music starts. Mm, 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 mm. They're in the bed. They don't, even, they don't even hold hands. Remember we used to hold hands? They don't even do that. Remember we used to kiss? They don't even do that. It goes from seeing each other in the bar, mm, 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 bedroom. That's a society that's lost touch. That has lost affection. Affection is powerful. And we can use it to love and heal people. So in a moment, you're going to stand up and you're going to walk around here for three and a half, maybe four entirely serious, powerful minutes. And all you're going to do is hug each other. Okay? Any questions? Don't be trying to leave now. Girl, I, will ta I ain't scared of you. I'll tackle you. trying to run out on me, which you would. Uncle Al's here. If you're in this room and you're like, man, I've been mistreated by touch. I've had some bad touch in my life, whether it was violence or, or attack or abuse. I want you to know that we're here for you, and we're going to pray right now. 
I believe there's people in here that want to start or restart their journey with Jesus. We're going to pray for that as well. And then we're just going to hug each other like crazy. Will you, will you close your eyes for just a moment? Maybe you're here right now and you go, Alan, I'm hurting. I've been mistreated. I've, been, I've, I've had abusive and painful situations through touch. And I need God's healing hand in my life. If that's you when I count to three, I just want you to wave at me real quick. You can put your right, hand right back down. Ready? One, two, three. Right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. God's got your back. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Maybe you're here and you're thinking, Alan, you know what? I want to start or restart my relationship with Jesus. I, I, I'm outside of the relationship with God. I'm a neighbor, but I want to be a family member. I, I used to maybe know him, and I walked away, but I'm back. If that's you, you want to start or restart your relationship with Jesus. When I count to three, I want you to wave at me really quick, and then we're going to pray. Ready? One, two, three. Raise it up right now. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you, family. It's on. It's on. Anybody else? Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Will you take your right hand and put it over your heart? As soon as you do that, you can stand to your feet and don't try to leave. Because if you do, I will start tackling. I ain't scared of nobody. I, shoot, I am a Michigan Wolverine, and I'm sorry to Penn State. But listen, we've had so many rough years. This is our year. And in Jesus' name, we're going to whoop uh, uh, Georgia. That's what we're going to do at the end. No, we're not. But hey, uh, I got faith. Put that hand over your heart and say this prayer. Keep your eyes open because God likes to talk to you like a regular person. Just say, hey, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving your life for me. I need your forgiveness to take all my sin away. I give my life to you now and forever in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters all over this room who've been through hurt harm and pain. Lord, I pray that you bring restoration and joy. Father, I come against everything that comes against them. The memory of the pain, the hurt in their stomach, the pain in their pain. God, I pray that you would bring redemption and healing. Father, I come against the depression and the sorrow, the unnatural sorrow that gets into us when we experience such ravaging concerns. And Father, I pray that you'd bring the wholeness that we require the wholeness that we need, and the family that we're desperate for in this place. In this place. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen, amen, amen. Awesome. You may be seated for just a moment. I know pastor's going to come here in a second and direct us. But we're going to start hugging in just a moment, so don't try to leave now. Why y'all trying to redheaded lady with the, the tan purse? I'm looking at you. I know we got people working in the lobby setting up tables, but um, I want to thank you for your giving to Accelerate. And let me explain what you did. Accelerate is a youth development project for teenagers that are aging out of foster care. We reach them with 16 weeks of discipleship, that's Bible training, and life skills, that's how to do a checkbook, how to go shopping for groceries, how to apply for jobs, go to college. And then when they complete the 16 weeks, we gift every graduate a well-running used car so they can drive to work, they can drive to college, they can drive to church. In uh, the past uh, 10 years now, wow, it's been over 10 years. In the past 10 years, we've given away over 185 vehicles to kids in this country. It's so awesome. 
And last year, you guys gave so that we could have our Christmas event. You saw it on there. And, um, and you gave generously. Thank you. Um, that's the good news. The bad news, we spent all your money. So would you help us again? We're not going to pass the plate right now, but there's a, a container in the lobby you can give into. Tonight, we'll do a special offering for it as well. If you try to skip tonight to stay home, I rebuke you and your team will lose. And everyone on your team will get toe fungus. But when we give special, it, it's special. And um, I don't have any other way of funding it. This is how I fund that ministry. And uh, so when you give, you're helping me reach young people. I don't get a dime. It goes to our young people. It's awesome. And uh, God is so good. Thank you for your investment. We're going to stomp the devil right in his face with the love of God. And he hates it. And we love it. It's great. And I love those babies. So you give. I get to kiss a bunch of babies and hug babies. It's a good job. Man, God is good. Are you ready to hug? Let's let pastor come up and direct us, and then we're going to start the hug off. I need a three-minute, 30-second timer when we start the hugs, because I don't want people cheating and going too long, okay? we got to restrict their movement in here, because there's some people in here that are like serial, you know, huggers, and you just got to watch them. Any questions about hugging? Okay, Pastor. All right. Did you appreciate Alan's ministry this morning? All right. You want to be here tonight, 6 o'clock. Again, come ready to support. Come ready to give. Um, don't forget, uh, you can give your offerings on your way out. Don't forget to sign up for the prayer initiative. Don't forget Family Fest. Everybody stand up. All right. Are we ready, tech team? Get your hug on and then get your children, please. See you next week or see you tonight. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.